I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And And this this is Hashtag Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. guys welcome to hashtag history episode 37 i'm rachel and i'm leah and we are recording together (laughs) (laughs) we're we're reaching for each other (laughs) trying to touch fingertips um yeah we are recording together um this is really really exciting we have recorded this entire season remotely we just figured that out yeah because um for anyone that re-listens to this episode or listens for the first time in the year 2025 and has no idea what we're talking about. 2020 has been the year of coronavirus. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the, the COVID one nine um, and the stay at home orders. Stay home orders. I've lost all my social norms too. <laughs> stay at home orders, meaning that Leah and I have not physically seen each other with the exception of seeing each other on our little doorbell front door camera yeah, exactly. things uh, in, I think, three, twel- months? three months, 12 weeks. Dude. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy, guys. You haven't changed at all. Yeah. <laughs> You're Tanner. <laughs> I am a lot Tanner. Yeah. Yes, look at how dark my hands are. It's because she got sunburned and it turned into a tan. Yep. This right? is true. And also because in quarantine, you guys are going to be so impressed with me. Every single lunch break, I have a 30-minute lunch break every day. I'm working from home. During my lunch breaks, I've been going on bike rides every single day. I was day. doing that too, and then I stopped. <laughs> So, that- <laughs> so I was working off of a laptop for the first like two and a half months. And then when I finally got the desktop in, now I'm finding like I don't take my lunches anymore because I'm just I'm working. That's good. That's yeah, good. Mine, I'm like, can it be lunch time <laughs> yet? But yeah, so I, I am a lot tanner. Other than that, we are the same. We are here. And we are ready to record this really super exciting episode. So this is super special because we are together in person for the first time this season. It's also really special because we are talking about a topic today in history that has fascinated me and Leah Mm -hmm. uh, since we were children. So this week, we are discussing the infamous Salem witch trials. <gasps> Everyone, I actually almost thought, like, should we be wearing, like, witch's hats while we're doing this episode? I kind of wish we I was going to be like, do you own a witch's hat? And then I remember, yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone that wants to know, I was Elphaba in a... Um, a dance show. So I actually do own a witch's hat. And for anybody who isn't a theater nerd, Elphaba was oh, yeah. the Wicked Witch of the West in the musical version of... Wizard of Oz called Wicked. I literally didn't even consider the fact that there may be people that don't know the grand name of Elphaba. <laughs> right. So everyone knows about the Salem Witch Trials because they will forever go down in history as one of the craziest, most bizarre, and most tragic incidents in colonial history. Over the years of 1692 and 1693, over 200 people were accused of witchcraft, with over 20 of them being executed for the crime and five others dying while behind bars. These accusations came as a result of mass hysteria of demonic possession swept across colonial Massachusetts. Today, those accused have been annulled of their guilty verdicts, but that doesn't change history, and that doesn't change the culture, the climate, and the deep roots of bitterness that still reside in Massachusetts to this day. And with that, Leah, let's drink! Let's get it! 
I'm so literal. <laughs> this week's cocktail is aptly named the Salem Witch Cocktail. And it looks like I didn't put in a lot of effort into this, but I swear I, I looked for a while. Um, I wasn't going to say that at all. What I was going to say is you say almost like it's kind of like a like a sad downer thing. Like, gosh, you guys, I was so literal this time. What I love when they're this literal is like, oh, there are also other people out there that like oh, yeah. are as weird as us and created a cocktail called the Salem Witch Cocktail. Yeah. that I love when they're literal. Like, oh, okay, yeah. here we are. And what I love about this one, too, is the way it looks. So I think I, w- I was supposed to layer it a little better, but basically what it looks like, and you'll understand why when I tell you what's contained in this cocktail, but basically it's like kind of a greenish, yellowish, um, and then you're supposed to do like a floating shot of raspberry liqueur on the top that looks like blood. Oh, But okay. all of my raspberry liqueurs sunk to the bottom and Rachel's really classily drinking out of a coffee mug so she can't even see hers you know what I'm drinking out of though is our coffee mug um our hashtag history coffee mug you guys we have merchandise now if you um have checked out our Instagram in the last week you will see that we did a live video um showing off our merchandise and one of those is this really super cute mug it really is cute it's so cute that logo looks so good oh my god (laughs) it's almost like we had a professional put it together (laughs) you guys she's saying that because she did all of our logos and um she did the covers of both of my books too and amongst many other things yeah if you guys need um design service from someone who doesn't know what they're doing I'm your girl. She knows what she's doing. (laughs) All right, guys. So the Salem Witch Cocktail contains, it's a lot, so get ready, a half an ounce of vodka, which I didn't actually measure. I just assumed. Yeah. Yeah. A half an ounce of Midori melon liqueur, or just, we just did off-brand melon liqueur, which Uh is totally fine. A splash of lime juice. Yum. A splash of grenadine syrup. And then two thirds fill of sweet and sour mix and soda water. And also Rachel's soda water that she brought over exploded all over my entire house. (laughs) So that was cool. (laughs) And then, like I said, you're supposed to like mix all that together, put ice on top of it, and then on just float along the top the half ounce of raspberry schnapps. Or we just did raspberry liqueur because... I don't know anywhere that ca- carries raspberry schnapps. Nope. I looked. Didn't see any. But now when I'm looking at these ingredients, the main one there, the raspberry schnapps or uh, whatever it is, raspberry liqueur, we're going to have to come up with more cocktails for that. What am I going to do with that? Oh, I will come up with cocktails. Okay. I would say that. all that other stuff we use all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially melon liqueur. I will. Yeah. She's looking at me like that because I bought it for tonight. I literally bought it yesterday for tonight's <laughs> cocktail and it was opened already because <laughs> it's so good. It, I'm really excited about this one. Yeah. Really excited. Okay. So we're just going to dig in. That's yeah. Not a, cheers. Cheers. I'm going to stir mine. Yeah. <sighs> it's so good. <laughs> Holy shit. We're making more. Really? My God. Okay, hold on. I haven't like, tried it yet. My mouth is watering. It's so f-ing good. Am I crazy? Is it so good? I, I can't talk. <laughs> it's so good. It tastes like a Jolly Rancher. Yes. And there's no apple in here, but it tastes like apple somehow. Right? I think we need a moment. Just hold on, guys. Dude, this is so good. Are we putting this out of 10? I am. Oh my god! Yeah, this is bomb. You're it's like right. We're making this very again. sweet, 
very sweet. On Saturday. I was just going to say at the party we're about to have. Yes, we are. Um, book club. We're having book club on Saturday, guys. <laughs> um, I'll leave all the stuff here. Yeah. Dude. I'll, maybe I'll slushify it. Dude, this is amazing. Yeah, it's super sweet. So if you don't like super sweet drinks, I'm talking to you, hundred proof history, who just drinks straight whiskey. Um, not your, not your thing. No, but it's my thing. Oh yeah, it, and it's mine as well. I freaking love this drink. She's right. It tastes like apple. It tastes like the drink should be like green or something, like a green apple. Yeah. But it's a beautiful copper color. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's the that is the the green melon liqueur mixed with the raspberry red schnapps, <sighs> and it makes this like copper. It's been a little while since we've had a ten out of ten. You girl, you're eleven out of ten banana whatever. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Oh my god! Now I'm trying to think if that one's better than this one. I think this I, one's better personally. Well, you don't like bananas. Well, yeah. And but I would I nobody would does stop. <laughs> People love bananas. Okay. Um. Okay. Drinks delicious. Yes. This is so good. Mm-hmm. I was trying to drink a lot of it before I start talking for the next eighty-five minutes. Yeah, it's been twenty minutes, right? It's I can't been. see. It's been. Um, and we haven't even started. This. Oh my god! So let's let's start the episode. Let's get cracking. Let's do this. Okay. Now, before I even begin, I want to say that I was so freaking excited to finally be covering this topic before I started my research yeah. for the episode. Uh-huh. Because as I started my research, I felt 100% in over my head. There is just so much information out there, and it is really, truly not physically possible to do justice to the Salem witch trials in this format. There's just no way we are going to be able to cover absolutely everything. So I wanted to start this episode off with a recommendation. I highly, highly, highly recommend Aaron Mankey's podcast called Unobscured. In season one of Unobscured, Aaron Mankey covers the Salem witch trials over the span of 12 episodes wow. about this one topic, 12 episodes. So you see, the only way we could even remotely cover 80% of the material to come from this incident would be to do a spinoff podcast strictly about the Salem witch trial. So were you up for that? or I mean, um, I if we can have this drink every single time. Actually, yeah, that would be my selling point. All right, guys. See ya. See ya. Catch us on our Salem witch trials. Bitch. Salem bitch trials. Salem bitch trials. I kind of love it. Okay. We, she, Rachel's actually considering this right she, now. Yeah, she saw like a light bulb like, ah, no, I've done too much work already. No. Okay, so I just want to super recommend the Unobscured podcast. It is so, so good. Of all the books and articles that I have read about the Salem Witch Trials over the years, that podcast is one of the best culminations of research on the topic ever so go check that out and then let us know what you guys think about it i'm excited i'm gonna go listen to it so good and just the quality of it is so so good now let's lay some context for the salem witch trials because without context even with context this incident is really like what the bleep and it is not the salem in oregon which as a very young and very nerdy kid i remember taking a family vacation to oregon and passing salem oregon and getting like very sort of internally excited about maybe seeing nerdy history stuff and like maybe some witches. Yeah. Now, not only was elementary age Rachel 
confused about where exactly Salem was located. Many people to this day do not actually know the difference between Salem Village, which is now today called Danvers, and Salem Town, which is now today Salem, Massachusetts. When this incident occurred in the early 1690s, there were actually two Salems in Massachusetts. And the difference between the two of them is so important. So Leah, I have uploaded a map of Salem Village versus Salem Town for you to just check out while I'm discussing the differences. So there's nothing necessarily to To describe, um, but I do want that to be available to our viewers and for you as we are looking at this. Now, Salem Town, which you see here on the map, this is the area that is now today Salem, Massachusetts. And as you can see on the map, Salem Town is right here along the water. So Salem Town was actually a really happening place. They had a really successful port there and were a thriving city. As you move about 10 miles inland, though, you have Salem Village, not as close to the water and therefore not the happening city with immediate access to the port. Salem Village was a poorer and smaller agricultural community. There were some major conflicts within Salem Village due to differing opinions. There were those within the village that wanted to separate themselves completely from the thriving Salem town, while others, those residents living closer along the border of the village and the town, wanted to stay connected to the rich economy of Salem Town. There was a definite divide within the village, with the extremely religious believing that the village needed to remove themselves from the temptation and the corruption of the town. Now, speaking of religion, the land where Salem is located was, of course, obviously a Native American village prior to colonists settling there in 1626. The colonists who settled here were Puritans, who had opposed many of the practices of the Church of England and came to the New World for religious freedom. While the Church of England was, of course, Protestant, it still carried on many practices that had strong resemblance to the Catholic faith. We are definitely going to have to cover this topic in a future episode because it's just so fascinating. Yes. But for those that do not know, England's split from the Catholic Church in 1532 was... somebody wanted to sleep with someone that wasn't his wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly why. It is because infamous Henry VIII, the king that ended up having six wives, he wanted an annulment from one wife so he could marry the next and the Pope refused. In order to get his own way, Henry VIII separated the entire country from the Catholic Church. Because his motivations were purely personal and not necessarily because he felt strongly about religion, this meant that the wave of Protestant Protestantism that hit England following its separation from the Catholic Church was not in every way particularly different from Catholicism. In fact, we know that Henry VIII only separated himself from the church for personal reasons and not because he necessarily disagreed with Catholicism, because we see during his reign that he actually persecuted some more radical Protestants that tried to introduce the new religion to the country. Having said all of that, The Puritans that settled in Salem were some of these more radical Protestants that wanted a true separation from the Church of England and its strong resemblance to its predecessor, the Roman Catholic Church. The most radical of these Puritans were the ones that were living deep within Salem Village. Something to keep in mind, because this is going to come up a lot later, are Puritan beliefs in regard to women. Think back to the story of Adam and Eve and how it was Eve that tempted Adam to eat from the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden. 
Puritans use this story to essentially say that Puritan men are wholesome and more moral, and Puritan women are basically just vehicles of the devil. So that's nice. Yeah, cool. Cool. <laughs> Attending church was imperative. If you missed service, you could be punished, even though, as women, all you were allowed to do in church was sit silently. Women had no say whatsoever in the community, and especially not in the church. In a very Handmaid's Tale-sounding reality, the census from Massachusetts around this time shows women with names such as Silence, Fear, and Be Fruitful. That's like, of Fred. Uh, yeah, of Fred, of, of Glenn, of, of Glenn, of Glenn, under his eye. And may the Lord open. May the, the Lord, Lord open. open under his eye. Okay, weird and creepy, <laughs> which actually um, fits in with this topic. <laughs> yeah, it does. Once a woman in Puritan society married, which was extremely common to be married. In fact, you were looked at as somewhat of a pariah of society if you were unmarried. You were the property of your husband and had to do whatever he said. As we're diving into the story, just remember that in the society, it was believed that women were inherently sinful and more susceptible to damnation. This is the climate and context for where the accusations of witchcraft would take place. In addition to this climate, witchcraft was a widely publicized concept and an excuse for any behaviors whatsoever that did not perfectly align with the Puritan concept. For example, a dispute as minor as arguing about property lines could and did lead to allegations of witchcraft. The belief was that it was the devil that had made one neighbor argue with the other, and therefore you have a witch. I'm not oversimplifying things here. This is actually how simple they were. In the years leading up to the witch trials, a minister named Cotton Mather published a book entitled Memorable Providences Relating to Witchcrafts and Possessions, in which he theorized that every sinful act committed by a human was the result of the devil overtaking their body, essentially turning them into a witch and making them commit sin. Mather also popularized the theory that those possessed by the devil, aka witches, exhibited symptoms such as loud outbursts and seizure-like body convulsions. Mather had also published a book entitled Devils and Witches, in which he told the story of the Goodwin family of Boston that had been overcome by demonic possession at the hands of their housemaid, Anne Glover, just a few years before the Salem witch trials would begin. These were the types of stories that permeated colonial culture. The Salem witchcraft craze wasn't anything new nor isolated. Europe itself went through its own witchcraft craze that lasted all the way from the 1300s to the 1600s. Say witchcraft craze three times fast. <sighs> it was hard two times in the one sentence okay. with words in between. Okay. Again, these are the stories that heavily influenced colonial adults and children alike. In 1689, a man by the name of Samuel Paris became the Reverend of Salem Village. Paris was not particularly liked. Prior to becoming a minister, he had been a businessman with a pretty impressive educational background, having attended Harvard. He inherited a business from his father, but when natural disaster destroyed the business, he began to look into becoming a minister. When he was appointed as Salem Village's latest minister, it came after a series of ins and outs of ministers. Prior ministers had only stayed on for about a year, most of them abandoning ship when the congregation essentially just stopped paying their salary. Being the businessman he was, Paris refused to accept the minister position until they had dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's of his contract. 
In fact, some historians say it was nearly a year of negotiations before Paris officially accepted the position. And this did not sit well with many in Salem Village, particularly those on the outskirts of the region. Paris was seen as greedy. In addition to his long-fought battle for compensation, the congregation was also disturbed to see Paris spending loads of money on pricey items for the church, such as golden candlesticks for the local meeting house. In addition to all of that, Salem was, to put it bluntly, a pretty shitty place to be the minister of. With the church being the center of the community, it was the minister's job to do everything from preparing church services to resolving disputes in the community. And Paris didn't do a particularly good job at the latter. Over time, Salem Village eventually stopped paying Paris for his duties. So is it any surprise that just a month later that the rumors that would lead to the witch trials began with Reverend Paris himself? When Paris came to Salem Village, he brought along with him his wife, three children, their niece, and his two slaves, one of which was named Tichuba, and I say that because she's going to become really, really important later. So it's in January of 1692 that rumors start swirling around about possible witchcraft in Salem Village. In Reverend Paris's own home, one of his daughters, nine-year-old Betty Paris, and her cousin, the Reverend's niece, 11-year-old Abigail Williams, began behaving very oddly. I don't know that I've ever asked you before. Have you seen The Exorcist or Exorcism of Emily Rose or any of those? Yeah, so Exorcist. Um, the only reason I was able to watch it... Okay, let me let me preface this. Let me just lay it out for you. Uh-huh. I Story saw time. a little clip of The Exorcist in like one of those like Halloween scary movie countdowns. Why was I watching this as an eight-year-old? I'm not sure. But I saw a clip of The Exorcist. It scarred me for life. I was terrified. The clip. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't watch it until literally like maybe three years ago and how'd you do it was fine yeah because now i've seen like you know i watched the walking dead and gore and gross stuff and so i was you know 70 a 70s horror movie was kind of laughable to be completely honest but as a child it was scary yeah no i 100 percent understand that because i watched the exorcism of emily rose this is so horrible and my mom's gonna hear this and be like OMG. I was at a church function and it was like a bunch of us girls. We were staying the night in the church. Um, It was like a youth group kind of thing. I think I was in like middle school. My church that I grew up at was like a very uh, like an old building. Mm -hmm. And we were staying like upstairs above the gym in this like little room. Mm -hmm. We watched the exorcism of Emily Rose terrifying to where I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. Like every time that night when I had to go to the bathroom, I made like one of the other girls come with me. I was terrified at this movie for at least I'm like probably five years, like terrified, watched it again. I was like, Oh, you know what? That makes me, I should watch the grudge because almost the exact same thing happened. I was on a ski and snowboard trip. So up to the mountains, about two hours away. Um, And for, it was one of those buses that has screens in front of every seat. And tell me why they decided it was acceptable for seven, seventh grader. I was a seventh grader or maybe eighth grader. I so think that's about how 12 or 13, they decide to play the grudge. And so it's like, I can't not watch. It's in front of like- 12 inches from my face. <laughs> they couldn't play singing in the rain. Or and something. I'm not joking. It's scarred. Oh, yeah. Me. Like I because I didn't watch scary movies. And, I, I didn't either. And I'm there's still to this day, like, there's a scene where there's, like, under the covers a lump. They, they show a lump under the I've covers seen, and then you yeah. lift it up and it comes at you. Um, spoiler. But <laughs> I literally cannot lift the covers and look underneath. And I, 
to I this believe day. you. I would say just from personal experience, it might be therapeutic and like heal tr- some like past trauma to rewatch it. I Maybe, might either that or it might like really f- you up. So I don't know. <laughs> are you willing to, to the risk. risk it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what kind of mindset I was in when I rewatched Emily Rose, but I think I was like, I need to just do this. And and then when I rewatched it, it still was creepy, but I was like, it's a movie. I mean, like I'm the person that had nightmares because of the movie Annihilation with Natalie. You Portman. know what? I remember you saying that, and then when I watched that movie, it was really. Freaky I'm talking to me, like you're talking. But then like, I watched it again, and now I, I'm fine. But I, you had like like weird like like night sweats, night terrors, like from that for movie. about for about a week. I didn't sleep. And did you see it in theaters? Yes, I yeah. did. It was, it hit something in me. I don't know. I didn't know I was scared of. Yeah. What is it? Like, I think it's the fear of the unknown or fear of being out of control. Mm-hmm. Cause this thing is like, mm-hmm. there's no controlling it. Sorry. That was a <gasps> yeah. side Thera- no. That was a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <sighs> why I ask if you guys have seen any of those creepy demonic possession movies is because I imagine that's what these girls in Salem Village were behaving like. According to historical records, the girls were doing creepy ass shit. Stuff like screaming at random, making weird noises, and contorting their bodies. They claimed they could feel their bodies being pinched or like there were pins being stuck in them. Although doctors could never find any evidence of any physical afflictions. Also, it is interesting to mention that the girls never behaved like this independently. They always began and ended every fit simultaneously. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was going on within the Paris household couldn't be ignored. Everyone in the village knew about it because not only did the girls behave like this at home, they would also sometimes seemingly at random break out in these fits in the middle of a church service. That's embarrassing. <laughs> That's embarrassing, girl. <laughs> Later on in life, you're like so embarrassed at 25. Like, why did I do that? <laughs> Not too long after this, a handful of other girls in the village began exhibiting similar symptoms. One such girl was 17, maybe 18-year-old Mercy Lewis. Mercy had had a pretty effed up life While she survived two attacks by Native American tribes, her family had not, and she was housed as a servant in Reverend George Burroughs' house for some time. If you recall from earlier in this episode, I mentioned that Salem Village had gone through several ministers over the course of only a few years. Burroughs had been one of them. After staying with Burroughs for some time, Mercy then became a servant in the home of Thomas Putnam. This is important because when Mercy began exhibiting what I will call demonic behaviors, so did Anne Putnam Jr., Thomas Putnam's daughter, and Anne's cousin, Mary Walcott. Remember the Putnams, they are going to become really important later. I always pronounced it Putnam, but the way you're pronouncing it makes so much more sense because there's not two T's. Putnam. I guess I don't know. We'll find out. Someone will correct me. (laughs) A local doctor named William Griggs diagnosed the girls with supernatural behaviors, a.k.a. afflictions from witches, not too long after this, Griggs's own servant, Elizabeth Hubbard, began exhibiting symptoms. Things start heating up, and everyone in the village is now under the impression that there are witches amongst them that are afflicting these poor girls. Legend has it that around this time, there was a theory about how one could make a witch reveal themselves. And this theory involved 
baking a cake. Mm. And let me just say, Leah, that I am grateful that you did not base this week's cocktail off of this cake recipe. Mm. So excited. (laughs) In order to make this cake, you were to mix rye flour with the urine of the afflicted person. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Oh, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just expected more ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Like, that's gross, but like, <laughs> where, where's the baking powder? Where, where's, where's the, the yeast? You know, like, <laughs> how will it rise? <laughs> you then bake the cake. You're like, is that not a f- enough? <laughs> like, urine? Are you not listening? Urine here, guys. You then bake the cake and feed it to a dog, which is horrible mm. and the dog could then supposedly point out who the witch was but isn't the afflicted person the w- the afflicted person is like the girl that's acting weird you get the urine from that person and the dog is going to tell you like who is the witch that's afflicting that poor little girl got it this ritual was performed at the suggestion of a neighbor of the Parises, a woman named mary sibley but she wasn't the one that made the cake no it was Tituba who was, if you recall, one of Reverend Paris's servants. At Mary Sibley's recommendation, Tituba made this cake, and then she was vilified for it. Reverend Paris, believing this cake ritual to be some sort of dark magic, denounced the practice and Tituba in church in front of the community. I just like, I imagine at this time, well, I mean, what the heck else do they have to do? So, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. This is... This is that girl that, like, puts out a rumor on social media about her classmates. No, this is what they did instead. Yeah. Yeah, excellent point. Applying it to modern days. I completely agree. Their entire lives were church and gossip. Yeah. And that's one thing that I read when I was doing all this research was, like, it comes as no surprise that females are very, very involved in this because the men were out working. The chicks are the ones at what home. What the heck spreading. else do they have to do? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Now, I think it's important to note about Tichuba being denounced in front of the whole church because kids are not stupid. They can sense, they know when something is going down and when someone is in trouble. So it doesn't come as much of a surprise to me that when the girls were told to point out who the witches in the community were that afflicted them, Tichuba was the first named. Not only was Tichuba already in trouble because of the cake incident, Tichuba wasn't a particularly favored person in the community even before the accusations. Tichuba was a Native American, likely from Barbados, which embodied all of the colonists' fears. They were terrified of the Native Americans and believed them to be involved in devil worship and voodoo magic. As a one female, two Native American, and three a slave, Tichuba was virtually the lowest class possible. Shortly thereafter, another woman was accused of being a witch by the girls. Her name was Sarah Osborne, and she also was not very liked in the community because, one, she hadn't shown up for church in some three years, and two, because shortly after her husband had died, she married her indentured servant and was in legal disputes with her own children over her late husband's property. And finally, the girls accused one other woman named Sarah Good, who was virtually despised in the community because she, her husband, and their children were beggars and homeless. Again, like I said before, children are not stupid. I think it is a very real possibility that they caught on to the three most disliked people in the community, and those were the people they chose to accuse. The three women accused of being witches were then brought before the magistrates of the town, John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin. 
While they are there in the courtroom, all of their accusers, now known as the afflicted, are behaving as if they have been possessed. The afflicted would start bleeding from their hands and stand up and scream that it was one of the witches before them that was pricking them with needles. Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good both refused to confess. They were adamant that they were not witches and had nothing to do with what was going on with the village's girls. Tichuba, on the other hand, did confess. Now, it's important to provide some context for Tichuba. We have already established that she was from Barbados and a slave of Reverend Paris. As a slave, Tichuba had been beat by Paris before. In fact, she had just been beat the day before her confession when Paris beat her until she admitted to making that witch cake and that by making such a cake, she had engaged in dark magic. In addition to likely doing what she felt she had to in order to avoid another beating, I also think it's possible that there were some language or cultural barriers. I think she was picking up on social cues that if she just told the magistrates what they wanted to hear, she might be able to avoid another beating and ultimately a conviction. And also at this time, like, especially in puritanical culture, wasn't it like repent admitting and repentance was was much more important than the actual crime absolutely. or whatever yeah absolutely because you can be atoned for your sins by god yeah absolutely there are also a bunch of unfounded stories and misconceptions about tichuba's culture that led to rumors that tichuba had long been teaching the girls in paris's household betty and abigail how to do fortune telling and telling them like really super salacious t- stories of having sex with demons Historians haven't been able to pinpoint if this is actually true or not. In the courtroom, Tichuba told a tale about the devil coming to her and that he bid her to serve him. She told all of these creepy stories about seeing the devil in animal forms, such as a black dog, yellow birds, or red cats. You can read the transcripts from uh, this court hearing online now, and they are pretty ridiculous. It's very much like... um, Leah, you and I watch a lot of true crime. These transcripts in this case sound like those horrible interrogation tapes mm. you see of investigators like coercing children into making a confession. You know how they always ask like very leading questions. They're not open-ended questions like, were you involved in this murder? No, they are very specific questions. Since we already know you were involved in this murder and we already know the murder weapon was a knife, please tell us exactly why you used a knife and how you were holding it and what you did with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. These are the same types of questions they are asking Tishuba. And again, there is a language and cultural barrier, and she is fearful of being beat by her master if she doesn't give the correct answer. And that's when she starts spinning tales. Taking the already extreme level of hysteria to another notch, Tishuba ends up telling the magistrates a tale of how she signed the devil's book in her blood alongside the names of Osborne, Good, and seven other Salem village women. Over the course of the following months, several more were accused and several more became afflicted. Things really started getting crazy when some of those accused of witchcraft included not only loyal church-going women, but also Sarah Good's own four-year-old daughter who confessed to being a witch alongside her mother, just like any other four-year-old would do when being interrogated like that, and ended up becoming the youngest person to be jailed during the Salem witch trials at the then age of five years old. Oh my gosh. Now, Leah, I was hoping you could check out another picture for me. It's again, a picture of the Salem village versus Salem town, but I'm hoping with this particular map that you can tell our listeners uh, what trends you spot. Okay. So 
there is a map of Salem Village, and it shows um, triangles representing the accused and squares representing the accusers. And you'll notice when you look at this on our Instagram that all of the accusers were kind of probably in more of the central town, whereas the accused were all bordering on the edge of the perimeter. Yep. That's exactly it. That's pretty interesting to look at. I can't wait to post this one to Instagram because when you see this, like, uh, is there a conspiracy or what? Except for this one weirdo. <laughs> You're right. There is an outlier for sure here. But just one. Just literally one. just one. There's like a line drawn in the sand showing, like for the rest of them. Yeah. So like you just said, you'll notice on the map that the majority of the accusers, they're the ones that live deep within Salem Village, with those accused living more so along the border near Ipswich Road, which was the road that separated Salem Village from Salem Town. And as you will recall from the top of the episode, there was a lot of conflict within the village between those that wished to be more connected to the town and those that wanted nothing to do with it. One particular Salem village family that wanted nothing to do with the town were the Putnams. We have actually already mentioned the Putnams earlier in this episode. They were the family that Mercy Lewis came to live with as a servant before accusing former Reverend Burroughs of witchcraft. And after Lewis's accusations, others in Putnam's household, like his daughter and niece and eventually his own wife, also became afflicted and started throwing out accusations. This is a big deal because the Putnams were a very influential family. In fact, they actually owned the most land within the village of any other family. The Putnams were also instrumental in getting Reverend Paris as minister. So does it come as any surprise in looking at that map that the Putnams lived deeply inland in the village and that many of those accused that lived along the border would end up being enemies of the Putnams and that many of the Putnam family members, friends, and allies were the accusers? Mm -hmm. Shady much, right? Mm -hmm. Shady? Shady. On June 10th, 1692, Bridget Bishop became the first woman hanged as a witch as a result of the Salem witch trials. Her death was just the first of many, many more to come. And that is where we will leave you guys until next week. What? Yeah, that's right. This is a two-parter, guys. Two-parter because, like I said, there is just too much to cover here. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We have not even begun to scratch the surface of the Salem Witch Trials. So make sure you come back here next week, same time, same place, for the conclusion episode of the Salem Witch Trials. We will share the pictures that we discussed in this episode to our Instagram. All the sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website, which we have a new website. Leah, do you want to talk about it a little bit? Sure. Uh, our new website URL is hashtag history dash pod pod dot com. So that's hashtag history dash pod dot com. And it has a few new pages, some new layouts and stuff, um, updated information, updated contact stuff, and an updated 
merch store. Woohoo! And we're both yeah. repping our merch right now, and it's super fun and super cool. Yeah. As always, if you guys enjoyed the episode, do us a favor subscribe to Hatchback History on whatever podcast platform you use, share it with a friend, and give us a rate and review. And be sure to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast because that's where we post a lot of fun behind the scenes content and pictures. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Cocktail recipes. Yeah. It's worth it, guys. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The first woman hanged, not hung. That's not even a word. Is it? No. It's not a word? No, I don't think I don't think in reference to some more as hanged. Like, oh. I learned that. Born as in reference to when you're on. male genitalia. <laughs> Muriel. 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 80% of the Can you imagine this like uh, slushified? <gasps> <laughs> she just choked. These accusations came as a... Ugh. These accu... Ac- ac- <laughs> this isn't a great start. <laughs> it's the rum. I put a lot in that. Our pre I don't, I don't feel like it's that. I feel like we talked about phlegm a lot. <laughs> You're gonna record all this, like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, the whole first like two minutes of this recording is gonna be so boring. Okay. I mean, we could stop and start over. Do you want to? It's fine. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Today, those accused have been annulled of their. I was gonna say quality. I don't know. Also, I love the way you say Massachusetts. I I was afraid I was saying... How do you say it? No, I've noticed it's how you say it because apparently we've done multiple things on Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah, I don't say it like... Massachusetts. (laughs) Massachusetts. Yes. Is that how you say it? That's how I say it. You actually pronounce the T's? There are two T's in it. I guess you could. (laughs) No no judgment, Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I do say Massachusetts. Oh, well. There are no T's in Massachusetts. Yes. Uh, yeah. I like how you added the T that time. <laughs> Massachusetts. Massachusetts. In wits. In wits. In wits. <laughs> we'll share the picture. Pickers. We will we'll share the pickers. We will share the pictures that we discussed on. Okay, that's not on the episode. On the episode. We will discuss. We will share. <laughs> I quit. All the sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website. Our website. (laughs) She's struggling so hard. 